We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Uh, if you are not a regular listener to the Pat Mayo Experience, first of all, you'll notice if you're watching the video version that there is no video for the Corona cast. We're going to be talking about fantasy football for like the first, I'm going to say like 44 minutes, uh, different strategies, how COVID might affect your fantasy football team. Maybe some ways around that, some strategies, some players that we have to have this year, some busts. So Davis and I go through that entire thing. Uh, And then at like the 45 minute mark, we start the Corona cast, which we did every week during the pandemic before uh, the birth of my second son. And then I just didn't have the extra time to spend chatting about nonsense the entire time. So it's the best of both worlds for the show, unless you like, you really hate Davis or you really hate me or you really hate football or you really hate random chatter. Either way, I'd use the time codes. I'll have the football stuff marked. Uh, That happens right off the top. And then I'll let you know when the actual Corona cast ends up starting. This is a crossover show between me and Davis and his take cast. Highly recommend that you subscribe to both uh, rate and review both podcasts as well. Uh, It's going to be audio only today, but hey, uh, if you want to vote in the best movie bracket, link is in the description. You want to check out the fantasy football rankings and the entire Pat Mayo Experience draft kit so far, those links are in the description. So there's a lot to go around. Uh, Smash the like button for the show and rate and review. All right, let's get to it. Davis Maddock is on the line, obviously. Uh, no video for this one, as I mentioned to people in the... And it's a crossover with the take cast. But here's the one main fantasy football issue I wanted to talk to you about. And you're like... You generally, when I listen to your stuff, you're talking about like best ball or you're talking about high stakes drafts. I'm talking about like normal people drafts, like people listening to this that they might want to do or actually actively participate right. in. But right. yeah. if, if you have the number one pick and the tight ends fall, you could potentially construct a team of Christian McCaffrey, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. I talked to Jake about this on my running back show. We just kind of veered off topic onto this. 
But I think it's a smart idea. He did not seem too impressed by it. But I just think you not only corner the market on tight end, it's not like these guys are bad flex players. Like, I don't care if I had to play George Kittle as my flex. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I I think that if what I would actually do, I I think that if I was picking first, I got Christian McCaffrey and then Travis Kelsey was still sitting there for me. Uh, I, I actually think I would probably take Pat Mahomes with that with at that turn pick at the two three because uh, you you already have that running back position just stone cold locked down. You're gonna have the best tight end in fantasy football. Uh, why not? Why not also get the best quarterback in fantasy football? Like I I know I know that we you know everyone agrees you know universally like yeah like uh you know late round late round quarterback and everything but like the, the kind of the math of that position has been changing the last couple of years as we've seen these guys who can throw for 4500 yards and 30 touchdowns also add like 60 fantasy points rushing but is Mahomes the best case for that like what what differentiates besides the passing upside that you're talking about from like Kyler Murray's more of a gamble but he is going like two rounds later uh, well, the, I mean, the obvious thing with Mahomes is you just, you have absolutely zero floor concerns. Like Mahomes is, is just not going to be a bad fantasy quarterback in any scenario other than one where he gets injured. And as he showed in the playoffs last year, he has more rushing upside than like they kind of unleashed. Like when, when games are on the line, when they're playing in competitive games, they're more likely to let him run and you know if he adds so if kind of like do you remember when Aaron Rodgers used to do this I know it's so far in our memories from when Aaron Rodgers was really good but when Rodgers used to be the best quarterback in fantasy football he would throw for 4,500 yards 40 touchdowns and he would also run for five touchdowns and if you add that to Mahomes like he's out earning a third round ADP even at quarterback even in years where Kyler and Dak and Lamar are also all great well, that was sort of the sneaky thing behind Jameis last year was he would just pick up these like, I don't know, like 21 yards per game on the ground, sometimes like 39. Like, you know, you rush for 39 yards and you're a quarterback. That's the equivalent of one touchdown pass that if you don't draft a – like if you go late round QB this year, you get your Matt Staffords or whoever, Matt Ryan. Right. And those guys aren't going to run, but you also haven't paid a premium for them. So there is an offset based on where you can make up the rest of your roster. But – like, are you in on Daniel Jones as being kind of the late round version of the guy that you're talking about? Yeah, Daniel Jones is the late round quarterback this year because if you know if you look at quarterback ADP right now, the guys who are going late, uh, all of their upside is related to you know staying healthy and throwing for 40 touchdowns. But Daniel Jones could do those things and run for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Like, you know, if you're, if you're comparing his upside to someone like Matt Ryan, uh, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, like give me, give me Daniel Jones uh, every single time, basically. Well, the one problem I would have with Mahomes in the situation that you spelled out is the chiefs are likely going to be good. Uh, and when Mahomes yeah. was running the most was in the playoffs when, you know, it's now must win situation. I, I can just right. see Mahomes taking the sensible route and not putting himself at risk in games where they can win other ways. Well, especially because he got injured on a quarterback sneak last year. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that that is a super realistic thing where it's just where where Mahomes is like, you know what, like, let's stay healthy. Let's win another Super Bowl. You know, I don't need to be. I do not need to be running for, uh, you know, 30 yards a game right now. There's just no reason for it. 
Whereas someone like Lamar has to run. That's a part of their offense and a part of his game. So, right. Like, is. Do you have Kyler at three or do you have Dak at three or Russell Wilson? Uh, I have, I have Dak at three because even if Arizona, you know, kind of completes the mission of what Cliff Kingsbury wanted to do, where they're running 75 plays a game, they're throwing 50 passes a game, whatever. Basically, Dak can accumulate the same numbers while, uh, you know, being more efficient. And he's like a, Dak is like a proven runner in the NFL where like Kyler were extrapolating a lot. He didn't run early on in the season. And then later on, like again, later in the season, they tailed the running down. Whereas like we, Dak is just going to run for 400 yards. We're like, it's just going to happen. Like he's such, and especially around the goal line, he is such a good runner around the goal line. And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm like Dallas led the NFL in yards per play last year. And I actually think probably the most likely scenario is that they end up being better this year with a different head coach. I I can see that, but I would just say if you're a betting person that you would take them to not lead the NFL in yards per play. Like that just seems sensible. Yeah, completely. Yeah, no, 100% true. So I I actually, this brings me to DeAndre Hopkins, who I I have down in my rankings. I have him at like number 24 overall, because I feel like you need to have one of two stances on Hopkins in Arizona. It's either that it's just going to work out. And if it does work out based on the Kingsbury system, he's the primary option. He doesn't lose targets that he saw in Houston. Like he should probably be the number one receiver if you think that way. But if you don't think it's going to go that way and he's going to lose like 20% of the targets that he would normally get in a more efficient offense, he could keep up to where he was, but I can just see him being a real life, good player, but a fantasy underachiever as weirdly as that sounds. So I don't agree with you that it is as much of a duality, but I totally see what you're saying where either you're like, DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a 28% target share in an offense that leads the NFL in total plays run. And that should net him, you know, 195 targets or something insane like that. Or they're going to do what most air raid offenses do, which is like they, they target a different guy the most every single week. They don't have a guy who is, you know, sitting up there with a 28% target share. He sees 140 targets and is productive on those targets, but overall is, you know, kind of lacking that same ceiling as Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, DJ Moore, those guys. I, I have DeAndre Hopkins as my fourth wide receiver. I have him as a back end of the first round, top end of the second round selection. I, I will say, though, very rarely am I taking him there because I have Travis Kelsey higher in my rankings than I do DeAndre Hopkins. So I think that in terms of like, you know, again, like 12 team leagues that you're playing with your buddies, like I like if you're drafting using my stuff, you're probably not going to get Hopkins very often, even though I feel like I have him ranked highly. Yeah, I have like I said, I have him number 24, which is probably supremely low. That's behind Godwin. That's behind Galladay, Kittle and Kelsey, Julio. And even Robert Woods, who I think is potentially the steal of the draft right now, he's still not going as highly as he should. Like, no, I, he, I, I have he him, really could be. You're right. I have him ranked at number 23, but obviously you don't need to take him at the back end of the second round if you want Robert Woods. You, you just don't. Like, I, I, it's weird trying to construct rankings. I don't know how like you go about doing it because obviously each scoring system is different, each league is different. It's hard to have like a universal rankings, but understanding ADP along with rankings. I try to hammer this home every year, but people just don't get the concept. Maybe they don't want to do the work and it can be somewhat complicated. If you search on internet, 
rankings fantasy football and you run into Pat Mayo's like mine are way different just because my approach to rankings is way different than everyone else like some people will run their projections and those are their rankings which I mean makes a lot of sense I try to factor in a bit of my lean into it like oh Robert Woods only scored three touchdowns last year yet he never came off the field in an offense that should be at least run more plays passing plays this year because I don't think their defense is going to be as good so natural regression upwards would say you know maybe he ends up with eight touchdowns or something like that see that's why I like Robert Woods I have him ranked at number 23 because I think he's going to be a good player but if his ADP is like end of the third round taking him at pick number 23 would probably be a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I do my rankings in a very similar way where I'm like, you know, this is how I value guys. This is not necessarily how I would draft them, right? Like, and there will be times where just due to, you know, structural reasons, like I will take, you know, I, I would take, uh, you know, someone that I don't love, you know, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mix, and Aaron Jones. I would, I would maybe take them ahead of where I have them ranked because you know you need a you need a running back right and you can kind of see the way that the that the room is going to play out so yeah I mean people and they just have like just in general people have a very hard time contextualizing that I always lean with take the guy that you want and like people get so caught up in position scarcity when it comes to things like oh if you don't have a running back through four rounds like well you have to go running back running back I think on paper that makes a lot of sense, but like you're now wasting value by going running back, running back and like the fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth because those running backs probably aren't any good. Uh, I mean, yeah, like that's the whole thesis behind zero RB drafting is that uh, you really in those rounds, you know, four through seven, you really should not be taking Raheem Mostert, Marlon Mack, Melvin Gordon, Devin Singletary. Like you should just not be taking these guys who are super fragile. And the only reason they're being drafted that high is because they are being perceived as scoring more points above replacement compared to, you know, like backup guys like, you know, Daryl Henderson, Latavius Murray and those guys. Yeah. Well, I, I think you and I are in lockstep with, with Latavius Murray. I had a uh, Ratcliffe and Evans on the show for my rankings reveal. And like one of the points that I really wanted to hammer home is someone like, Latavius Murray versus Alexander Madison. One of the reasons I ranked Murray higher, this is presuming that Delvin Cook plays. Obviously, this would change if he sits out and Alexander Madison is now the starter. But if you draft Madison at his like current value, you're drafting him with the expectation that you're going to play him. And he's not a guy that you want to play if Delvin Cook is playing. With Latavius Murray, you never make that bench mistake. It's, is Kamara playing? Yes. Okay, I'm not playing Latavius Murray. Is Kamara not playing? Oh, Latavius Murray is a top three running back. That's a huge thing that people overlook when they are drafting their teams, which is like, what guys are you going to know when to start and when will you know not to start them? And, you know, are guys just going to be bench cloggers? And I this this argument exists. It's more for wide receivers you know someone like I, I've heard the argument that McCole Hardman is a guy you'll never be able to cut you'll also never feel comfortable starting him because he's going to interplay yeah it's going to he's going to interplay a ton with Sammy Watkins I don't holistically agree with that opinion no Hardman is a guy I have ranked you know above uh you know above the market for sure but yeah I mean that's just something that people uh, you know, like just in general, people neglect to take that into account when they're drafting their teams is they draft a bunch of guys who they're not going to feel comfortable cutting. And, you know, guys who early on in the season, you're going to know kind of right away if they're going to have a role or if they can be cut uh, actually have extra value on draft day. 
Yeah, so what are the difficult things? That, who was the hardest player you think you ranked this year? Hardest player to rank? I mean, it's got to be someone who actually matters, right? It might. It's probably mine was probably Cl- someone like go Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That's who. I yeah, was gonna I mean, say. so so he's a great example where like uh, if he if he just stone cold beats Damian out by week three, he will earn top four value. If he and Damian split time for. 16 games, then he's going to be like a fourth round pick. Right. I I think actually the guy I find most difficult to rank is Josh Jacobs because rank him down. Why? I I really like him. I think he's a good player. He was a really good pass catcher at Alabama, but they, they absolutely refused to use him that way last year. And then they gave Jalen Richard a contract extension. They draft Lynn Bowden jr. To kind of play that hybrid third down back, you know, that Tavon Austin ish role so it's like, it's like, yes, you spent a first round pick on a running back, but then you do all these other things to be like, well, we don't want to give him the ball that much. But in, in all these high stakes drafts, I mean, Josh Jacobs goes in the back end of the first round. That is a bad pick. Uh, I mean, it is, it's a bad pick if he sees 30 targets for sure. But like, what but, if, I mean, if he what, sees- what sort of expectation does anyone have that he's all of a sudden like, I can look at Todd Gurley and I know that he has the arthritic knee, but if all things being equal and he's 80% of what Todd Gurley used to be, that in the Atlanta offense, he is going to monopolize the goal line carries. He's probably going to play over 80% of the snaps and his target share from the Rams to the Falcons this year should double just based on the way that they use running backs who are on the field and dump the ball off to him. So instead of like 27 catches, he could be back up around 50, which makes him an incredible value. I would take him over Josh Jacobs, who if you could tell me that Josh Jacobs was going to get 55 targets this year, I would rank him way higher. But I, I just don't see any coach speak. I don't see any you know anything that the Raiders are doing at all to say that that's going to happen. I have to work under the assumption that this is what he, like if he was the third round pick, He'd be fine in the first round. Like it's the same thing with Nick Chubb. Like they have, unless an injury happens or a complete shift in philosophy with the team actually happens. I just don't see how they hit that upside. They have nowhere to go from the place that you pick them. At least with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, there's substantial downside to that pick. That's frustrating to deal with. But like you said, but but you see the upside so clearly. Yeah. If he is the starter from day one, there's a chance he's the number one player in fantasy. Now that's unlikely, but I actually can map but, out but that. But totally possible. Head. Yeah, like if yeah. he if he plays the Brian Westbrook role and he's playing eighty percent or fuck even seventy five percent of the snaps with the Chiefs, he has top one upside. I just don't see envision a scenario where Nick Chubb ends up that high or Josh Jacob ends up that high. Like they don't they don't catch the ball. Like if they don't catch the ball, they're not useless. But for the purposes of fantasy, like you have to knock them down. So I, I agree with you. You know, I am not taking, I am not taking those guys where they're going, which is why I am, you know, it's, it's why I'm still talking about zero running back. It's why I'm still, you know, not drafting running backs until the sixth, seventh, eighth round sometimes on some of my fantasy teams, of course, not all of them like this year. uh, And this was actually true last year as well, but this season with the way that running back has evolved in the NFL right now there, if you pick outside of the top five, in your fantasy league like you, you are just behind the eight ball there they're, they're uh, in terms of projected points because the top five players christian mccaffrey saquon barkley ezekiel elliott alvin kamara and dalvin cook those are the guys who are going to see 250 plus carries 70 plus targets in a healthy season and there's there's absolutely no way 
around that basically. And, and outside of that, you are massive question, like literally every running back. I mean, we could go through the top 30 guys right now and be like, there are massive question marks for all of them. The only guy I would say that there's no question marks around that, you know, who he is, is Derrick Henry, unless he gets hurt, you know what he's getting. And it's not, he doesn't, unless he scores like 27 touchdowns, he doesn't have the upside to be the number one running back simply because he is a non-factor in the receiving game. But he's... You want, you want to hear a crazy story, uh, crazy Derrick Henry stat that my guy, um, Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves told me the other day? Let's hear it. Without a touchdown, so in games where Derrick Henry has not scored touchdowns, he has never finished as a running back two or better. So in, ga- in games where he does not score a touchdown, he like he is effectively useless. He is Naheem Hines if he doesn't score a touchdown. But now how, he scores a lot of touchdowns. But he scores in like ninety percent of games. <laughs> yeah, I mean he scores in an absurd percentage of games. But I just I thought that was a really interesting stat. Yeah, and but like someone like Josh Jacobs or even Nick Chubb would have to get up to the same touchdown expectation as Derrick Henry in order to be as like Derrick Henry is the advanced version of those guys. Like Kareem Hunt might. Kareem Hunt won't outscore Nick Chubb. At least I don't think he will. But I think that he's a better. He could, fan- he could but I think he's a better fantasy pick. Um, yeah, I mean Hunt is another guy who. Uh, something I like to do is compare the average draft position between the high stakes leagues and like you know Yahoo and ESPN leagues. And Hunt is one of those guys who goes you know twenty picks ahead in high stakes leagues versus like casual ADP on on you know, the fantasy pros or whatever. Who, uh, are there any other players like that this year? I, I bet you quarterbacks just cause in high, like, can you explain the concept of high stakes leagues to people who don't quite understand? Because if you join a league of 12 people in a high stakes league, you're not just playing against 11 other people. You're playing against the 11 other people in your league and then everyone else from every other league too. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, it's like a GPP for DFS where, uh, in a way, so what you do is you draft into your 12 team league and then the top two teams in your 12-team league after the first 12 weeks of the season advance to uh, an overall playoff. So you get into an overall scoring contest where you know the goal is to the goal is to amass the most amount of points out of you know uh, 20,000 teams or whatever uh, in in the very end. And the playoffs take place weeks 13 through. 16 so you know basically guys are you're, you're really 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 prioritizing ceilings over everything else in those formats yeah so you'll see players like patrick mahomes or lamar jackson or kyler murray go way like, go like the first round yeah. because if they if mahomes passes for 55 touchdowns you're gonna have to have him or you cannot win correct yeah i mean maybe not maybe not the first round but you know for example the last four days in the football guys players championship Lamar and Mahomes have on average gone back to back at picks 23 and 24, which is about 10 spots higher than it would be in a casual league. As it should be. Like, I, I don't even think that I would take those guys at pick thing, 31 in my like 12 team league. I'd patch it together at the back end. Uh, I mean, I'm, I am more on board with those two because of just how absurdly they break the scoring at, uh, at, at court, like just how they break score. They break scoring overall entirely. Those those two guys specifically do. But yeah, I mean, I in general, I I don't think I've taken a ton of those guys in the third round. But just for example, um, even in even in PPR leagues, I have Lamar projected for 
you know, more fantasy points than Michael Thomas. And, and like, that's a lot of fantasy points. That is, but what's the difference between Michael Thomas and the number five wide receiver and Lamar Jackson and the number five quarterback? I guess that would be, that, that would be the value question you're looking for. So in PPR, I have Mike Thomas projected for 352 PPR points. I have number five, DeAndre Hopkins for 284 uh, at quarterback, I have Lamar at 349 and Deshaun at 292. So it's a pretty considerable gap. I wor- I, I'm not worried about Lamar, but the questions of him run, like he has to run that much in order to be effective in terms of a yeah, fantasy sure. performer. Eventually that catches up with you. It's this one ankle tweak and you're fucked. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, any sort of injury that does not knock Lamar out of games but makes him less effective as a runner is actually more devastating to your team than if Lamar tore his ACL because you know being forced to start Lamar Jackson which you would obviously feel you had to do if you took him in the second or the third round and he's hobbling around out there and not really able to run but you're starting him like that's more devastating than you know cutting him and and starting uh Sam Darnold oh god that would be I mean, if you play in like points per ghosts leagues, you'd be fantastic. That's t- kind of the kind of the thing why I'm down on Josh Allen this year. And Josh Allen's my guy. I had him everywhere last year, but he's being drafted where he should. So finally. high. Well, he should, well, that's where he should be going based on his skill set. That's why I kind of pivoted to Daniel Jones, who likely won't score as many rushing touchdowns as Josh Allen does because he just calls his own number. But with Zach Moss around, maybe, you know, that Frank Gore rule on the Bills now in Moss's hands, he can actually like get into the end zone. And that, like, if Josh Allen isn't scoring eight rushing touchdowns, he scores three. Remember that year that Cam, he only had the one rushing touchdown? Everyone's like, Cam sucks yep. now. But then he scored like nine the next year. Like, if he's going to be a fluctuation guy, like, quarterback rushing touchdowns are so insanely difficult to project that you just have to get lucky with it. And where Josh Allen is being drafted right now, that you have to get lucky with it before he could just play kind of play to his baseline. And it was all upside. Now there's downside to Josh Allen. Uh, there is, there is downside. And uh, you know, they, they have made obviously improvements around him with uh, trading first step digs and they're no longer going to be giving carries to Frank Gore. But I mean, yeah, like you were, you were drafting Josh Allen as if he is not a fragile player. And, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a more fragile player overall than, Josh Allen. Yeah, I just remember the Patriots game when they just kind of went at his head. <laughs> like, if you're going to put your head down and try to run through the line, we're going to fucking smoke you. And it's just one bad hit. And he puts himself in. At least Lamar is good at avoiding contact. Not getting tackled. For the most yeah. part, Josh Allen initiates contact. That's not great. Just every time I'm about to do something with Josh Allen, so whether that be I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on him, I'm gonna bet on the Bills, I'm gonna bet the Giants to win. Like I I or, or the the Bills rather. Like I just I'm thinking I think about that lateral play in the playoffs. Yeah, but that's part of the fun of Josh Allen, though. It is part of the fun, but it just like it's it's so catastrophically stupid that it just like I, I'll it's one of the probably one of the most memorable plays of my life I'll, I'll never forget it well i'm gonna spin that into a positive because you know most quarterbacks aren't out there trying to do stuff but josh allen is he's yes. gonna do whatever it takes even if it's completely boneheaded and that's what i like even if he misses like eight deep balls in a row he's not gonna be afraid to take a ninth shot like that's kind of his meant he's like dustin johnson when it comes down yeah he's to he's uh he's Mo- he's monte ellis yeah, like whatever happened like three seconds before doesn't seemingly factor into whatever he's doing next which is both 
bad from a real life perspective, but like good from a fantasy perspective. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I very much, I very much agree with that point. I think that, um, I think that's, it's very true, but I guess the, the main issue to me comes in that like, you can draft Josh Allen. What's he going to look like the seventh or eighth quarterback kind of thing like that range. Josh Allen right now is going as the seventh quarterback, pretty much once Russell Wilson goes, Josh Allen will be the last guy who goes early in your league, basically where like, he's the last guy where you're like, Oh, that guy selected him early. Cause then, then you get into the Ryan Brady, Wentz, Breeze, Stafford Rogers group of guys where it's totally personal preference at that point. But like, what's the difference if cam starts week one, what's the difference between cam and Josh Allen fantasy wise, you know, I mean, I, I, I personally, I think I would rather take Cam where he's going now. I, I, I mean, I just, cause like if Cam is for real healthy and all Bill Belichick cares about is, uh, winning games like Cam and, and they only want to have him for one year. Cam might, Cam might run like an absurd amount of times. I agree. Like, I, I just don't see why you would spend up on Josh Allen or get Cam in the last round and take a flyer. Like, why not? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you for sure. Or so you get Daniel Jones and Cam and have the most volatile quarterback situation that there is. Uh, before we get into the, the rest of the stuff, you know, the, the regular Corona cast stuff, uh, that it's going to be weird because people are going to tune into this thinking it's a fantasy football show and then get to the Corona cast part and be like completely turned off by the entire experience. Then you're going to have the people who Suckers. love. Then you have then you have the people who love listening to the Corona cast, where you know this show is probably going to pick up on your feed, the Take Cast. If people don't know, subscribe to that. Um, and they're like, "What the fuck is this fantasy football stuff all about?" I really enjoyed your show yeah. with Pete, though. Love talking, love talking to Pete. That's my guy. But before yeah, we, I've okay. been, I've been doing, I've been doing these, uh, like kind of fill in Corona cast shows ever since, uh, ever since you had baby number two, because the, the feed needed it. Two guys this year that I want to have on whatever team I draft, I'm going to make special mention of them. Like I will reach around to go get them because I believe in them so much as fantasy assets this year and talk about guys. I have ranked over Josh Jacobs. These are two guys I have ranked over Josh Jacobs. I'm going to end up with McLaurin and shark on basically every team. Um, McLaurin, everyone else seems to like him more than I do shark. Um, I'm with you hundred percent guy guys, uh, guys just so perfectly set up to succeed, to see, absurd amount of targets plays in an offense that uh, you know, they're going to be trailing a ton. Like it just, yeah, it's just, it's just going to line up perfectly for shark. My concerns with McLaurin. He's are, too good for you. Like you like shitty players and he's too good. It's basically just that like a weird stuff happens with players who are, are undrafted. That that's really, that's really the only, it's really the only thing I have with, you, with McLaurin. Why don't you check your draft privilege, pal? Yeah, it's just like I mean, just there are there are undrafted guys who smash right away, and oh, and I'm wrong anyways. McLaurin was drafted higher than I realized, <laughs> um, so everyone everyone listening to this immediately uh, immediately disregard me. I don't know what I'm talking about. But do you, but, do, you do you have reach guys? Like, are there like two or three guys you're like I need to get? Oh, that guy? yeah, big time. Um, so. Some of my some of my reach guys. Uh, one of them is DJ Moore, who everyone had. Like you can get him in the fourth round, probably for if you're listening to this and you're, uh, you know, you're you're just drafting for your 12 team home league. DJ Moore is DJ Moore is one of them for sure. Uh, like, like if you just kind of historically look at 
guys who have produced the way DJ Moore has over his first couple seasons. Like it's like uh, Randy Moss and Mike Evans and guys who are, you know, on like hall of fame tracks. Uh, those are, those are um, one of them. And then I like, don't, I like, don't love this guy as a player, but I find myself drafting him a ton. And I think you don't like him and it's James Conner. I, just because I, 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 lo- I love James Conner. He's I actually have him back to back in my rankings. I have Mike Evans, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, James Conner. Okay. So Conner would be a guy that like, obviously you do not have to draft him this way, but I would prefer to have James Conner on my teams compared so, to Josh Jacobs. The, the, uh, I, I, I think I would just where Conner is going. I really like that. Le'Veon Bell is another one who I think is in that mix like James Conner, where people are just like, eh, but he's just going to get volume, and sometimes that's all that matters. Jake brought up a really interesting point to me about James Conner, though, is that with COVID restrictions and like everything that's going yes. on, like he's a guy who survived cancer, that if there is a compromising situation, he may have to take himself out of that. Yeah, uh, so that's, that's one for him for sure. And then another one is Mark Andrews, which might, might, he might actually be the biggest one. Oh, I did. Well, what's the situation with Mark Andrews? Mark Andrews has like like a type one diabetes, oh, like yeah. the like like news. super gnarly, yeah, like super gnarly diabetes. So he is super immunocompromised, and he now he's already said Mark Andrews reportedly has said he would not opt out. But I don't know, man. That like if if per, me speaking personally as a coward, um, <laughs> I would I would not want to put myself in that situation. Well, it it then gets into, I mean, this is one of the main reasons that I wanted to, you know, come back, do a Corona cast and talk to you is to talk about what actually happens with the NFL season in terms of how COVID's going to play in. Is there going to be, there's not going to be a bubble by any means, and they're just still trying to work everything out. But it's one thing to say, hey, I'm not going to opt out. I have diabetes. I'm going to go for it. But it's a different situation if half the team breaks out with covid and you don't have it you need to get the fuck out of there yeah and um this is uh this is another point that someone brought up to me uh these guys who are on nfl teams they kind of hang out in like positional groups so like the the linemen the offensive linemen will hang out together the defensive linemen will hang out together the secondary will hang out together so like your your left tackle gets covid like there's a very real scenario where we see like whole offensive lines test positive. Uh, and, and I feel sort of encouraged by the results that we're getting from baseball players who are not in a bubble, but just, you know, like taking precautions and, and being intelligent about the way that they're exposing themselves to risk with super low infection rates. But there, there definitely is a scenario where when this season does play out, and I, I think it's pretty likely that they're going to find ways to play these games, but, where like whole positional groups get wiped out for a couple weeks with a positive test. So what does that do to like, do you have to, there's no CFL this year. So do you just go and get those guys? If I was in charge, are you in charge? And I don't, I'm not in charge, but, and I think that there are reasons for the NFL and the NFL PA to not want this, but I would make practice squads like 30 men practice squads. And um, you know, you, I, and you have like five quarterbacks and there are like, you, you have like emergency quarterbacks and stuff who travel with the team because like, there's not going to be anything worse for the NFL and for the, the product on TV than for a bunch of quarterbacks to miss games due to COVID. Yeah, like, I, like I, the, you could not find anything worse. No, that's what happened with the XFL. 
in the AFL, like just bad quarterback play. Yeah, if there is bad quarterback play, like it, it, like literally, if Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and uh, Carson Wentz like all have to miss like important games with COVID, it's it's just a nightmare in terms of ratings and making money in this kind of you know crazy season. Like there just is not anything worse you could imagine than uh, what's oh, there's such a good Canadian football quarterback name, and I'm forgetting it now. Bo Bo Levi something, Bo Levi Mitchell. Like you don't you don't want Bo Levi Mitchell starting games. Well, you have to use the bigger ball that way. He's used to the grip on it. But like if if you have these practice squad guys, I don't think that you can have them travel with the team. I think that you can with have the them, team. I think you could have them practice with the team wherever they are, but they have to like stay in their own bubble just in case there's a breakout on the team that they can be brought into play. Yeah, and it's just I mean I I I do think that they're like just the there's got this is going to have to be a season where we see more guys play like it, it's so absurd to me to think that there will be a 16 game NFL season plus playoffs with traveling with these guys on flights and stuff. And, you know, the NFL operations is huge because it's not just your, your 53 man roster. You have all these coaches, you have, um, you know, strength and conditioning guys, you have trainers, you have doctors. There are, there are so many people like, what, what do you think, how many people do you think are needed to stage a fanless NFL game? What would be your, what would be your guess? Is that including broadcasting? Yeah. So that's include Cause we assume we, I mean, yeah, of course there's no reason to play these games if they're not being broadcast. So 53 active players per side, that probably goes up, right? Got to Got to think that there's at least like a 10 man reserve unit. That's like traveling with the team, right? Like right. You, you would just have to think. So let's call players and coaches on the sidelines 80 each. So there's 160 <sighs> cameras for an NFL game. You can probably get away with a lot of like robo cams and stuff like that, that can be controlled elsewhere, yes. but you'll need people on technicians on staff to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Uh, like a stage director, all that kind of thing. And actual cameramen to follow stuff around and be on the field, that kind of thing. So that's, let's call that yep. production people. 50 to 100 people <laughs> for each NFL game because that's just what it like they'd be better off staging all these games in exactly the same place in in one place yeah with, like what the MLS is doing yeah I'm and what basketball is going to be doing I just if there's not going to be any fans at these games and it does not seem like it seems like that they're trying to do it but that's not going to happen yeah which is just feels like wasted energy but yeah it, it does why not just go to Sioux Falls South Dakota is that North Dakota or South Dakota Go to Sioux Falls is South. So go to Wyoming, go to wherever, and then just stage all the games there or section off divisions and stage them all there. That way you don't need to have all these people traveling around. You don't need new production setups. You can keep all the production people in a bubble as well. You know, it's going to be worth their while because the NFL and the TV networks are going to pay for the fuck. They could probably get DraftKings to pay for the entire thing. Cause it's going to be so valuable to have football back on the field for gambling purposes, for DFS purposes that. Yeah. So to answer your question, I'm probably thinking like, fuck. It's like, it's like once you really start thinking about it, it's an absurdly high number. Like refs, medics, doctors, pilots who were just at the game because they flew the plane that's in, I would say like 400 people. I was going to say, I think the lowest number you can rationally say is like 400. That's a, that is a shit ton. That is a shit ton of people who can potentially expose Tom Brady to the coronavirus. Yes and no, but that's no different than like golf right now uh you yeah have, but golf you, you, is you, just you, it's, it's all it's all outside i mean football 
played at an outdoor stadium if you don't need fans. Well, I mean, locker rooms and everything is, is a little bit different for sure, football. But it's not like the, the golfers aren't going into the players' locker room. They are. But they're also in yeah, the bubble. Yeah, and I mean... I mean, like the, it seems like the PGA tour has done a great job. I just, I think that um, it just seems like the challenges of football because it's, you know, it's so face-to-face and everything. It just, it's, it seems more difficult on the face to me to figure out the logistics to, you know, minimize transmission for football. There's also an alternate problem that I don't think that anyone has really considered is that the macho aspect of football could present a real problem in transmission that if someone is feeling symptoms or anything like that, that needs to be taken out of a situation. They won't say anything. They won't say anything. Just like when their like well, ankle is broken, then they're like, I can't lose my spot. I can't lose my job. And I, I completely understand that mentality. And that's what works a lot for football. But in this situation, it could be a huge negative. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that the, uh, do you think that a guy who's about to get his first start at like right guard is it, and he starts feeling a little sick that week? Do you think he's going to tell someone that he's not feeling well when no. it's like maybe his, his only chance ever? Not, not a chance in hell. No, no way. No how. And that I think is an overlooked part of all of this. Yeah. I mean, I am. So here's the thing. I am optimistic that the NFL finds a way to play 16 games by hook or by crook because the the money that we're talking about for baseball, the money that we're talking about for NFL, to me, it it seems like it just it pales in comparison to the money involved in professional football in America. Do, like that that seems true on the face, right? Or is that wrong? I, I just it, it makes so much money that I don't know how some of these networks survive. Did, not necessarily survive, but just the effect that it would have going forward. Like I, I'm actually kind of surprised that this isn't even like a Trump campaign promise at this point. Like NFL will happen. Cause I say it's going to happen. It, and then, then it'll happen. It, uh, People will be like, Hey, way to go. <laughs> it, it, it really should be a Trump campaign promise because I, I, I think I, I can't think of anything more um, damaging to Trump's re-election chances than than football being canceled or postponed it's it would be the it would be the number one nail in the coffin i would think it, it, football is weird because it's the one thing that everyone kind of likes like across the libs board. libs yeah libs libs like it too yeah it yeah. is so yeah you need to have it in oh it's, it's just i'm shocked that they didn't pick a bubble to do it in it just seems very short-sighted i think because of if you want to play the 16 games, that would be the easiest way to play the 16 games. Like, I don't know what their plan is. It seems like they are just starting to form a plan now, although they've had all this time to come up with one. It's like they wanted the so, N- it's like they wanted the NBA to figure it out for them, and then that didn't happen right away. So they were like, "Man, whatever. I just assume it's going to happen now." Like, it's like they just pretended like you know the pandemic would be over by the time football started, and it wouldn't be a big deal. That is what. Laird said to me was that the NFL was waiting to see how baseball and basketball figured it out. And they were just going to copy that. And then it just, it became too late, right? Like base, baseball and basketball have not restarted yet. And training camp starts in four days. So no preseason is what we're looking at. And to tie this back into fantasy a little bit, uh, it was either you or uh, Overzet who made the point that if you want to do zero RB, now is probably this, this th- is the year this is really the year just because of we don't know of the potential games that running backs are going to miss 
uh, and just open up just random people to be starting running backs on team if and like hopefully COVID doesn't affect anyone in the NFL but pretending like it won't and people are going to have to miss games is probably yeah that's a absurd bit, it's probably a bit far-fetched but we'll see maybe, maybe they'll find an easy way to contain it but let's just say like Christian McCaffrey misses three games. Well, that's not good for your fantasy team. If you drafted Christian McCaffrey, all of a sudden Reggie Bonifon probably is the guy that you're going to want to have. And I can't remember which one of you made the point is that it's not that losing Michael Thomas would be any better, but there's no one you slot in for Michael Thomas. Who's any good like Michael Thomas yeah. is. And I'm not saying that you sub in someone for um, Christian McCaffrey and all of a sudden he's Christian McCaffrey, but he could be like, 65% Christian McCaffrey's numbers and that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, that is that is the exact point, which is just that running back injuries generally speaking and this did not play out last year. I mean 2019 was just the apocalypse for zero RB. It, it did not work in any way. Nothing that you need to have happen happened, but generally speaking running backs are going to step into a pretty clearly defined role when the starting running back is injured, whereas at the wide receiver position opportunities are allocated based on skill as opposed to like just existing like teams are not going to throw the ball 100% of the time so the starting running back is going to get touches even if he's terrible but just because you are on the field as a wide receiver does not mean that you are going to garner targets so if Michael Thomas gets injured you know that doesn't mean that uh uh you know Traquan Smith becomes Michael Thomas yeah, and even like that target share gets allocated between Emmanuel Sanders and Traquan Smith. Yeah, and, five guys. And and whoever it is. Whereas, like I said, if Kamara gets hurt, Latavius Murray gets the carries. If Latavius Murray gets hurt, whoever the hell the next guy up is. I think it's Dwayne Washington. Is he on the team now? Still? He was their third running back. I gun to my head right now. I do not think I could I could find the third running back for them. Now, I'm not pro zero RB by any means. Like, I think that there is decent value on some of these other top end guys. Like, I think Kenyon Drake is a good pick. I think Joe Mixon is a really good pick. I think Miles Sanders is a good pick. I actually like Leonard Fournette marginally this year as someone who can produce. I like, I like, um, I like Drake and Sanders quite a bit. Like, if those guys are there in the second round, I'm taking them. And I've, I've taken Miles Sanders in the first round as well. I could see Drake, like Drake's lasting to the middle of the second. I like Drake a lot. I haven't ranked at number nine overall. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I think he's a very calculated gamble where I wouldn't want to take him at nine overall because I know that he I could get him later. But if you get into a situation where you're picking 12th, you either take him at 12th or 13th or you don't get him. So those are some of the compromises that you have to make in those situations. But if I was like picking eighth, or even if I was picking ninth, I'd probably let him pass to see if I could get him on the way back just to maximize my value. That's another thing that people don't talk about enough in draft. It's like, oh, I like this guy, but how much more do I like him versus the pool of players that are remaining? How do I maximize the team that I'm drafting, even if I might miss out on a guy that I really like? I always say, like, with my rankings, is you compare it to ADP, but the whole goal of them is to have as low of a sum as possible of the numbers next to the rankings at the end of the draft. Like you, if you can get six and seven and get them in rounds one and two, that's the move. But like, if you have to take pick number 21 before you pick number 19, knowing that 19 is going to last, well, you add up 19, you add up 21 in your total is 40. That's better than two players that combine for like 49, something like that. That's the way that I try to look at it. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, a lot of the mistakes that people make with fantasy football just comes in not understanding what the goal of the game is. And w the goal the goal of the game is to Win. use your available resources, which are your, you know, your draft picks and your fab, to 
generate the most value over expectation from those slots, right? And it's just it just really just comes from people not understanding that. And I would I, I see no real difference in drafting it. Like I would rather that's why I tend to rank ceiling a bit higher uh, than a lot of yeah. other people, just because I, I don't care if I come seventh or last, like that's no difference. But if I have a chance to win, I want to win. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, pretty much after the first 50 or so players, there are so many question marks and so many variables that really you should only be considering, you know, 90th percentile outcomes as opposed to medians a lot of the time anyway. Well, that was a fun fantasy football talk. You got real life Corona topics you want to talk about? What's going on with you? You been okay? Uh, yeah, you know, things are like, cause I, I live, I live in the Midwest, which is, Safe. you know, not one of the, yeah, it's like, it's like people are not great about wearing masks here, but things are kind of so spread out that it just has not been a super high transmission area. Now I think that when, school restarts which uh it sounds like in a lot of states it's just school it's just going to go back and i also you know i i think that one of the things that gets lost in these discussions especially on twitter where you know people are are just making one point and they're thinking in dualities and they're not thinking about you know what we what we don't know like i i would not even be comfortable saying as someone who is generally fearful of covid-19's impact on the health of people in america which is like it's probably not a good thing for schools to be closed. Like schools are daycares in the United States and it allows parents to work and schools are food, you know, meal plans for a lot of kids who, you know, are, are not food secure. And there's all sorts of uh, social in, like social impacts of like kids, you know, not being socialized, not being around other people their age. So, like I can't even say that schools shouldn't be open, but I just, it's just been such a disaster relative to what every other world government has done you know like it just every every other country is back onto a path of normal except for america and it's just it feels absurd to live through it well obviously i'm in a different country than you so i i see what's going on in america but do you guys actually see what's like do you have any concept of what's like i live in one of the two places where covid19 in canada is still like an everyday a thing like i live in downtown toronto like downtown toronto downtown montreal are now like the two places where it's still like a real thing uh you got to be like yeah like it's it's dead in saskatchewan right like they're they're over it well where i'm from where cust lives uh the east coast there's four four atlantic provinces i think they went like five weeks without a confirmed case like a new case uh, after like the initial wave went in and even the initial wave basically just resided within like one old folks home in like downtown Halifax where I'm from. Um, and it did, did its damage. Uh, and once it kind of got run out of there, it stopped. And then all of a sudden cases started popping up like one, two, three, four across these provinces and no one could figure out why it's because Americans came across the border and came in. That's why our border, that's why the Jays can't play in Toronto basically. <laughs> yeah. That's a, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, and, and I don't, <sighs> It's just so like how how it 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 it, it, it I, I don't even have the words, Pat. It it's so frustrating. I literally can't even form coherent thoughts on to how bad because I I think that it's it's actually kind of a cop out to be like, this is Donald Trump's fault, this is governor's fault, this is whoever's fault. Like it like 
the personal responsibility for Americans as it's been related to the spread of coronavirus, all time low levels of personal responsibility. I, I think that's what it is, is that it, when things go right or things go wrong, if things go right, people want to take a victory lap for their side. If things go wrong, they want to blame the other side without even just like looking in the mirror and saying, I, I could have helped out. Just a little bit. That's the one thing that I've noticed here. Uh, they actually just passed an ordinance. It's now a bylaw within Toronto. And we're further behind the rest of our province in Ontario of actually opening up. But we're doing, like, okay. Uh, you, like, you can't go to restaurants and eat here yet. But there are patios open with, like, six feet in between everything that you can yeah. go to in limited numbers. So that's, like, that's our step we're in what they're calling stage two, and we've been that stage way for a two. month. And we need a certain, I think it's like 13 or 14 days with a 60% reduction in new cases to open up like the next one. Uh, so we're, yeah. we're getting close to that. The rest of the province actually has that where they can dine inside. Gyms are open by scheduled appointments. Although a gym is not like, I, I love going to the gym. I really love it. And I really miss it. Um, not the first place I'm going to go with COVID still around. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I mean, the gym is going to be the first place I go when I feel comfortable that COVID has, that there is an answer, you know, whether that be a vaccine, whether that be an actual reduction in cases, you know, uh, month over month where, where I live. But yeah, I mean, the gym, the gym that I go to is back open, but I have not gone and, and won't go. That just, that just seems like a place where you'd get it. Not going to lie to you. I mean, it seems like everything we know is that like it is transmitted, you know, through the air. And like when you're, you know, yelling and grunting and like, that's just like, that's the, that's where you're going to get COVID. Yeah. Like a lot of moisture all around. Probably not the greatest thing. Like I I can, I've been patching together my workouts for four months. I can probably last, you know, another little bit here until at least it gets absolutely freezing up here. I should be okay. I would hope in terms of that, but uh, back to the bylaw, they actually passed the, you have to wear a mask anywhere. Like you go in and some people hate it. Some people, you know, there's no real difference between here in America when it comes down to it. There's a lot of people who are like, COVID isn't even real. And then there's other people like, you can't tell me to wear a mask that infringes on my freedoms. But everyone seems, yeah. seems to have more of a societal contract of, hey, if I'm going to the grocery store, the grocery store says I have to wear a mask if I want to shop here. And they do. <laughs> like, that's it. I mean, yeah, you you hit, you got at the heart of the matter, which is that Americans do not respect the social contract. That, that, is, that, that is as firmly as it can be stated, which is just that a, a large chunk of people who live in the United States do not either didn't learn about, don't understand, don't care about the social contract. And, and the people that don't want to wear them, that do end up wearing it, because again, it's the law, they won't let people in. <laughs> Um, you know, if they just want to go get somebody, they put on a mask for like 10 minutes. That's it. Like I, I go out and I take my sons for a walk, sons plural now, um, like every day. I don't wear a mask when I go walk around. I'm outside. Like, no, I very rarely see people outside unless they're like, like outside of my office in the downtown core. You do see a lot of people with masks, like walking outside. Cause it's still kind of congested on the streets. I get that. I don't do it, but maybe I should. But when I'm just, like, walking around, like, my neighborhood where it's not super packed all the time, like, I'm not wearing a mask outside. But if I go in, I have one with me. But if I have to go in somewhere, I have a protective thing on the stroller for the kids, like a bubble, basically, so nothing can get in. And I put my mask on and we go in somewhere. Like, I just don't see why it's that hard. So I, these are the places I go right now. I go to, there's a a golf course right near my house that i have a membership at the driving range do, i do, don't wear a mask yeah there. Do, you, do you wear a mask golfing 
No, I, I when I when I go golf, I never uh, it's set up so that you never have to go inside, right? You 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 come up, you get your bucket, you never have to go inside, you never have to be you know within, you just don't have to be close to other people, and I I do not wear I do not wear a mask there. I I see some people wearing a mask there, you know, good for them, but whatever. I I certainly would not point and gawk at anyone, but I, you know, again, because a lot of what we know about COVID is that it just it has a hard time transmitting outside because of the way it transfers via um, uh, like you know, like respiratory droplets or whatever. And that's just going to have a lot harder time transmitting outdoors. And I've seen a lot of people like kick back that they don't want to wear a mask because, you know, science says it doesn't even do anything. I, I don't even know what the science is around it. I don't know if it's super effective or not effective. It seems just objectively, it seems like it would be better to wear one when you're around a bunch of people rather than not wear one, whether it works or not. I don't know, but just like in my mind, how logic works, that would seem to be true. Well, even if you're not, even if um, the science is unclear or you're not sure how the science of, you know, droplet transmission works, you could just take an empirical approach to it and you could be like, okay, well, what happens in countries where they have a super high rate of people wearing masks or masks are mandatory? And you look and you see in South Korea, in uh, Great Britain, you know, uh, in France, in Spain, in Italy, where everyone went super hard on wearing masks, you see that they pretty much immediately got good results. And and your empirical learning brain would be like, okay, well, that's probably worth a try. Yeah, I, I think it's the worth the try part that a lot of people just didn't even give the time to, which I found odd. And that people even here, like I said, that you know, not everyone's on board with wearing masks, and most people don't wear them when they're out in public outside but when they go inside you know they're just like yeah i'll give this a try it's not making things worse put it that way <laughs> yeah no it, it is it is that i think you you make a great point which is like what harm can wearing a mask possibly do and i see people like i find it do you like i don't really notice that i'm wearing it and i think i like kind of like wearing the mask i have mask face uh i look better in a mask i feel uh, I have very high cheekbones. I have like French style cheeks. They're very high. They're very plump. Apparently, this is going to serve me very well when I'm older that I won't look as old. But now, like you know, I got I got fatter cheeks than I'm actually fat. Cover that up with a uh, cover up with a mask. It looks like I got a nice lean jaw on the go. Like I, I can see the look behind it. But I never have problems. Like if I I guess if I wore it for like eight hours at a time, I would have problems with it. But for like twenty minutes, like I actually don't notice. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I literally only ever wear it, go, you know, go in to go whatever, go pick up a takeout order or go to the grocery store or whatever. Like I'm wearing it, I'm wearing it, you know, probably at max, like 45 minutes at a time. And yeah, it just is not, it's not bothersome to me. I could see why, you know, if I had to go inside somewhere and work, if I was working at a grocery store, if I was working at somewhere that required me to be inside with recycled air for a long time and I felt like I had to. Uh, I felt like I had to wear it. I could see why it would be bothersome. I've heard that people who wear glasses, it's super annoying for, you know, because it, it causes your glasses to fog up. So I wore, you, you can see me right now. I wore these blue blocking glasses that I wear while I work to the grocery store the last time I went just to see what it was like. And it was, you know, marginally more bothersome, but not enough to like make me be like, well, I'm not wearing this shit. Yeah. I, I if I wear sunglasses going into a place, uh, then yeah, I have to take them off because they fog up. Well, let's see this. Uh, today's today's the twenty first as we record this. It's always hard. Like I, I would have done this sooner with you. It's just it's hard to bank this show 
and then keep it for a week because so much changes all the time. So much changes. Yeah. Uh, we had a 203 new COVID cases today uh, in Ontario. Most of them in, let's see, most of them in the Peel region, which is not downtown Toronto. Some of it was a backlog. And the majority of them are people under the ages of 39 because people are back out like partying again. Uh, yeah, people are, people are doing that in the United States as well. Let's see if my state has, uh, new data for today. No, no new data for, no new data for my state today. We had 30 new cases in Toronto. So that's a population. I believe that counts, I think it's five and a half million people. So we're trying to get there. The, uh, the linear scale for cases where I live, is not great it's basically a rocket ship since march 12th there's been there's been no flattening of cases in missouri well i think there is something to it too like when you see like the rest of the world like how do you perceive canada as doing with this not necessarily versus the united states but like it feels like when you look at media or you see people like sensationalize everything that's happening in america with this right now it's always compared to other places yet there's no talk about what yeah. happens in the other places it's just oh it's going down there it's going up here like we're doing a bad job but like do you guys did you have any semblance of what other countries are actually doing besides hey you've heard that they're wearing masks um what well, seems like the biggest thing that's the difference between the United States and other countries as they were to develop, they were developing some test and trace programs. And there has been, you know, no attempt to do that in the United States, basically. Well, I, I have gone out once. Uh, I went out for lunch with a friend that I hadn't seen in a while. We went to a patio. Mm -hmm. uh, and in order to get on the patio, I had to give the maitre d' my phone number and my driver's license in order to yeah. get in. I didn't care. That would, that would not fly in the United States. But There's it, just a 0% chance of that happening. I, I thought just because it was, if someone has it, that they can track you down and trace it to you very early. Yeah. And there, are, there, there was one guy who showed up. He was like the guy who was in front of me in line. He was told this is what he had to do uh, in order to get in. He like caused like a bit of a fit about it. And then the guy said like, look, like, I'm sorry. These are the regulations. You can't come in. You can go somewhere else. But they have the same rules. Uh, and like he threw like a mini fit and then he left and I guess went home like but it didn't seem to be like people didn't seem to have as big of a problem with it as I thought they would and I can see why people do have a problem with that it's very intrusive I just don't care <laughs> like there's no yeah I mean I like if if anyone has a cell phone they're tra like everyone's tracking you anyway like what's the fucking difference anyway <laughs> yeah I mean I so I I think this is a key point I understand from a very very high level why someone would say, you know, being tested and traced for COVID is, you know, an infringement upon my, my rights as an individual, where I, where they would lose me completely is, you know, for example, if those same people would not take offense to like secret police in Portland without identification or, or badges, you know, basically kidnapping people off the street and sending them to federal prison and and not taking umbrage with that and unfortunately because of the current political climate in the united states like you are you're like forced to hold these two diametrically opposed decisions due to the way you know uh politics is playing out yeah but politics is one thing reality is a different thing and most people yeah. like when you talk to people like you said on twitter they are one side or they are another they have one opinion and that opinion is never going to change no matter where you yeah. basically fall on the political spectrum in real life there's 
shades of gray. There's nuance to a lot of this stuff. Like you could be yes. the biggest lib on earth and then have like, and not want to be traced. You know what I mean? Or it could be the other way around that you could be a huge right wing person, but you're like, you're okay with the, you know, the greater good of giving up your information. Like just cause you're politically aligned one side doesn't mean that you're exactly the same. It's just like when you take overall voting blocks, people like to talk about overall voting blocks, whether it be, oh, people in Minnesota vote this way, black people vote this way, you know, people under eight, 18 to 24 vote this way. Now, there are trends among this, but to say that every individual within that grouping is exactly the same is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, that is that is for sure true. And I mean, uh, this there is there is also this thing that like you know the actual ideals of liberalism and and being on the far left side of the spectrum. You actually, I don't love the idea of you know the government having some big repository of where people are. All, all the time and knowing, you know, everything that there is, you know, knowing all of our private information, because that is a, a very small step from there to fascism, right? And, uh, you know, just kind of the way that the American center left party, the Democrats has aligned itself is extremely, extremely large government, but like in the wrong ways, which is very interesting. Well, I think we had this discussion on one of the very first shows that we did together that I said that, you know, just based on history, like if you get like a super right wing type thing, you get like an authoritarian government. But to actually get fascism, it usually comes from the left. It, it comes with, well, we know better than you and our ideas are really good and they're for like everyone. So you need to listen to us. And then it becomes like an authoritarian fascist type thing. Like it, it all starts out with, I mean, you shouldn't eat that. Like cust is always the fun one with this and like he got really upset when uh, in canada they took trans fats out of things and he's like well this is just step one to fascism basically and like he's not wrong in a way like they're taking away your personal choice but like trans fats are good for no one like they serve relatively no purpose besides like preserving things in frozen food and they're objectively really bad for you but if that's the first thing that comes, what's the next thing that comes? And what's the next thing that comes? And that usually comes more from the left than the right, like that sort of regulation. And I can, I don't think that's actually what's happening right now, but I can see how people jump there in their minds. Well, and it's, it's certainly true because a core tenet of liberalism is that you cannot trust people to do the right thing. And I am certain that many of uh of my my leftist buddies would disagree with that take that they you know they think people are inherently good yada yada so on and so forth but like i don't believe that right and that's something that i think i mean i know you and i have talked about before and uh you can you can draw a direct line from that thought of you can't trust people to do the right thing you can trust people to just act as selfishly as possible all the time to a lot of the a lot of the leftist political ideals that are basically limiting people from the access to ability to do harmful things to others for their personal gain. Yeah. So it it, it is true. And I tend to believe that people inherently do want to do the good things uh, when it boils down to it and that you just see people focus so much on bad actors uh, and like sensational things that they see that it leads them to believe that people are inherently bad, which I just don't think is true. Um. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I disagree with you. I, I think that I think that a, a a large majority of people 
maybe maybe even in their heads they think they're a good person they think that they would rather put the greater good ahead of themselves but when the rubber meets the road they do not do said thing no i i don't necessarily agree i think everyone acts in their own self-interest but i think that own self-interest to most people does benefit the greater good of society moving along things being as peaceful as possible things running as smoothly as possible i think that just because something is an individual need doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good for the public as well those things can work side by side well i mean that yeah that returns that returns to the social contract and um and and those sorts of like you know, if, if what's good for the individual is, is largely good for society, and that's true in some cases, but on the extreme cases, which is unfortunately kind of what America attracts, that is, you know, not true because of, of what is personally good for, you know, CEOs and owners of like mega, mega large corporations ends up being very bad for the individual. Sure. What, um, did you see my movie bracket that I put out? Uh, I did. I don't, I have not, uh, I don't know the winners though. Well, you just have to go vote in it. The voting isn't closed yet. Okay. All right. I'm looking, I'm looking at the bracket breakdown right now. It's, it's, it's the pin tweet. And just like, if you click yeah, on I'm, the tweet, I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now. Do you, how many of these movies of the 68 do you think or 64 do you think you've seen? My guess just from kind of looking right now, my guess would be I've seen 60 to 70% of them. I wanted to do one of these, because I'm going to do one for the 90s too. I have those shows already filmed. I want to get this one over first just so it's not completely confusing. It's the best movies of the aughts. So the 2000 to 2000, the end of 2009. And like, I've had to mute the conversation, which I've been doing a lot on Twitter recently. Uh, just muting. great it's a great feature the mute feature yeah not necessarily muting people just muting the conversation that comes along with certain things that get posted like i don't want to have to explain the semantics of every single thing like originally i had it listed as funniest movies of like 2000s because i thought like that's a decade like if i put 1990s people would know what i'm talking about but i put down 2000 they're like what about this movie that came out six months ago? It's like, well, no, it's just that decade. It's, it's like, hey, grow up, bro. So then I put it from 2000 to 2010, thinking like people would say, oh, that decade. But then they're like, this movie came out in 2010. Why isn't it? And I get why that's confusing. But like, what sort of fucking movie bracket runs for an 11-year period? Like, right. very little yeah. common sense goes into the people that aggravate me on Twitter. So yeah, this brings me to, I think I'm going to delete Twitter from my phone. I'm not going to stop using Twitter, but so I think I I think nothing could give someone more personal happiness than to delete Twitter off their phone. I I really like everything that makes me mad on a daily basis. Pretty much comes from Twitter, and I don't get mad about what I see on Twitter, and I don't get mad at 99% of the replies that I get. It's just it's very easy stuff that people just aren't taking the time. Like, Someone, I, I tweeted something out the other day and they just clearly didn't read the entire tweet. They read like the first line of it and then got like super mad about it. And I was like, did you even read this? They're like, no. I'm like, well. No. What, do, what, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> they never, yeah. No, the 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 egg Twitters, they never read anything. But it's, but it's not egg Twitter. It's like real people Twitter. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I saw someone share this quote the other day. And uh, the, the great George Carlin, you, you probably know it, but like, you know, think of the average stupid person, you know, and yeah. then realize that on average, you know, just 
by the nature of the way math works, 50% of people have to be stupider than that. Yeah, it's really strange. And I thought we were in a, like, that's, that's the one thing that I like about being, that's the difference between the daily fantasy space and the sports gambling space. I find that, like, sports gambling just tracks so many people. Because sports gambling is really easy. I'm going to bet on easy. this or I'm going to bet on this. There's a complexity to daily fantasy strategy that usually people give it a try that, like, you know, are kind of stupid. And they're like, oh, this isn't for me. I can't figure this out. And they just don't do it anymore. But the people that are highly invested in daily fantasy, whether they're good at it or not, think about it in a way that is a lot different than regular fantasy football, than gambling on sports, that there's a, I I don't want to say that people are smarter who do it, but the engagements that I have with people who just strictly talk about daily fantasy as a whole tend to be better conversations, like with random people. Um yeah, I mean, it just it 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 uh, it just attracts people who are a little bit more critical in terms of like thinking and and yeah, they there. That's really all there is to it. Just it just it's a it's a group of people who are used to thinking a little bit more. Yeah, like the the difference in the question that I would get, like as it pertains to golf, like someone would ask me, "Hey, on DraftKings, there's like six guys in the top end six K range. Like, why do you like this guy more than this guy?" Like, okay, I, that's something I should be able to answer if I say I like one guy over another. In golf, with like 156 players in the field, a lot of the time the answer is, well, I like this guy, and I didn't even really think about this guy. Like, nothing stood out about this guy to differentiate him from the 20 other people that are the same price, but this guy stood out to me. That's why I like him more. The gambling question is, who do I bet this week? <laughs> who's going to win? Exactly. Go- who's yeah, going who's, who's to win? Yeah, who's going to win golf this week? It's like, I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Anyone uh, could, right? Well, yeah, anyone. I mean, not anyone. Chris Fuck Yo Couch probably isn't going to win, but uh, or Garrigus. Yeah, is Garrigus in the field? Yeah, I was. I just happened to look at the Corn Fairy odds this week, and I saw that before Garrigus got put into the the big boy field at the 3M, he was two hundred and fifty to one on the Corn Fairy tour. I like Garrigus. Big big fan of Garrigus. He hit me a first round leader at the Canadian Open two years ago. It was like two hundred to one. It was nice, but. Like I notice it. Like, it's not so much through my content that I get it, but I do this thing with Golf Digest, where we we write like write up our picks. We do the betting article, but they just release like our picks as an. Like, oh yeah, you're you're getting nothing but knuckle drag response to that. But they they put it as like an infograph on Instagram and on Twitter that just has like our pick to win. But it's not our pick to win. It's who we think the best value bet is of who's going to win. Like last like. For example, like last week I picked Tiger. Terrible pick. Uh, but he was 28 to 1. I was like, all right, 28 to 1. Like, if you would ask me before the tournament started, like, who do you think is going to win? I would have said Bryson. But I wasn't going to bet Bryson at 9 to 1. Like, there's no nuance in people understanding that when it comes down to it. And I know, I get that gambling's new for a lot of people. But, like, just the, the mind-numbing questions that I get off of this are, like, and I don't want to be, like, shitty about it. I really don't. I want to, you know, it's good for me to have more people excited about betting, more people excited about golf. I can bring them into my show, but like sometimes it's it's why I want to just check it less often. And I would check it less often if it wasn't on my fucking phone. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you it just I, get it off your phone. If you if you are if you want to do it, I, anyone who wants to do it, I would just encourage you to do it. And I can always just like if I want to watch something and tweet it from my phone or something like that or do a Q and A, I can just go download it. Like it's not that big of a deal. 
yeah, it's it's not it's not a hard way to jump back in. It'll just it just um, not having it on your phone delays you going to go get that that dopamine hit for half a second. And you're like, well, is it really worth it to go download it? Like you, you, it has to be more deliberate when you do it. Because I got rid of most of my news feed and Reddit on my phone like a month and a half ago, and well, I am significantly less informed about what is going on in the world. I feel like I'm much happier. Like you talked about, I mean, I guarantee you are. Like you talked about Portland. Like I have a very vague understanding about what is happening in Portland right now. And frankly, it's not. It's not even happening in the country I live in. I feel like it's something that we would normally talk about. I'd be all up on. No, like, you know, what's this side saying? What's this side saying? I just. It's not that I don't care. It's just there's too much to care about right now. That just I think just kind of trying to be happy might be the move. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, that is, uh, that's a big thing is like news fatigue. There's so much bad news and you never know what to be upset about or angry about. And, you know, to be frankly, to be frank, that is, uh, it seems to me like a pretty good tool of the oligarchy to just numb you enough to not care about all the atrocities going on around you. But like at the same time, you know, like what, what am I, look, what are you supposed to do? Like it's just, it is, uh, it's, uh, it's an unseverable knot basically in which you in which you you think like okay you know it's it's my job as a citizen of the world to know about this but at the same time what am you know what what is my role in all of this is it worth uh the this stone cold heartache i'm getting from from following this yeah and just how much of your time and mental capacity and emotion that takes when there's like i'm thinking about me about especially about stuff that happens in the united states like, what the fuck am i gonna do about it nothing i'm a i'm in canada for one thing uh i can't cross the border that's not gonna help me and like re- realistically what i'm gonna what am i doing besides, what are you gonna do what am i doing besides getting upset about this nothing that that is literally the end of the relationship that I have with what's going on. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but having my son is now nine weeks old, so we lasted our last Corona cast nine weeks ago. So I think we filmed the day before I was taking off. So I've had two kids uh, under the time that I've been with DraftKings. I've missed a total of one day of work. <laughs> you missed how many weeks of work? One day of work. Well. Pretty impressive, Pat. Pretty impressive. Well, thanks to people and guests like you, I was able to record some stuff in advance that, you know, I never missed a day of everything that's going on. But this, like having two kids under 18 months now with no daycare has been fucking rough. Like bad news. Bad news bears. I I mean, I, 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 I really mean this when I say it. I cannot imagine. I, I truly in no way can imagine what that would be like for me. It has made the days go by very quickly. It's just trying to work full time while doing this, uh, like because my wife needs to be with the infant because she's feeding him. Like, and then we have like this monster running around. You know, he runs, he talks, he just throws shit around all the time. You put him in a pen, he loses his fucking mind, and there's no daycare to go back to. Apparently, like there's daycare opening soon, but we're on like the very lowest priority, being too able. Two healthy 30-year-olds with two kids, like, you, know, you can take care of those yourself until we have more spots back open. I don't even know if we want to send our kids back to daycare right away. I mean, I would like to, just to get them out of my hair as someone to babysit them. But at the same time, yeah. I don't know what the concerns are. Fortunately, because we're not being charged for daycare right now, my ma- I convinced my mom to drive up. It's a 27-hour drive. Uh, she drove up, and we rented her an Airbnb because our place is just too small. 
to house anyone else. Like it's too small for us and two kids to have another person stay there uh, would just be insane. Like it wouldn't work. So we had to rent her an Airbnb and like she took leave from work. Uh, so whatever we were paying for daycare to begin with, we're just paying for her place and her now to come up and like help us with the kids, which has been a huge relief. Uh, but that is coming to an end soon. So we don't know what we're going to do. Uh, well, you know, I, I wish you, I wish you all the luck in the world. I don't have, I don't have the answers on, on what, uh, on what you should do. It sounds, it sounds terrifying as does everything to do with children to me. That just all sounds terrifying. It's funny. The two highlights, I have three highlights of my day. Cause I love doing the show. I love talking to the guests. I actually love filming the show. That doesn't quite crack the top. That's why I do what I do. Cause I actually love doing it. Uh, you know, the audio editing is not the most fun part of the show, as it would turn out. But that's a necessity. Of the right. That's the work part of the job. The work part is not the talking about this stuff. That's the fun part. Yes. But, like, every morning, my son now, he used to wake up. He used to sleep from, like, 7 to 7. But now he sleeps from, like, 7 till random time. Could be 5.30 in the morning. Could be 6.30 in the morning. It's never past 7. Like, we used to get, like, once a week. It used to be 7 or later. Now it's maximum seven so today i was up at 5 30 and i was just a zombie so i went to bed at like two uh but like sitting with him on the couch after he eats for like 15 minutes and just kind of like zoning out best part of my day until i put him down to sleep at night then that becomes the best part of my day but it's as someone who never wanted kids and now has two it's it's great i, I get why people like kids it's, it's a lot of fun uh, I mean, I can imagine that it's like the most rewarding experience that you can have as a person, but it, it still sounds terrifying to me. Yeah, but it's one of the, it's like anything else in life that's terrifying. It's terrifying until you do it and then you, until figure, you do it and then you figure it out. You, like everyone, like I, lo- I looked at the situation that I was in. I like my wife and I, we waited a while to have, like I waited a long time. I waited until I was in my thirties to get married because I thought, I would probably marry the wrong person when I was 24. As it turned out, everyone I know who got married at 24 was divorced by 30. Uh, and everyone who got married after 30 is still currently together at this point. So, you know, waiting until you're a little bit older to make some decisions that your life actually takes off a little bit, then you know what you're doing for the rest of your life. That seems to be, at least for people I know, a more sensible decision. At least it was for me personally. So that was good. But we waited for a while to have kids, but like... I don't know, man. Like, it's, I don't know how, like, my mom was 16 when she had me, and she managed. Like, I can't do that as someone with a full-time job, with a wife who has a full-time job in our 30s when we're responsible adults. Like, she was able to do it. Why can't we do this? And you start thinking of it that way. Like, people in such worse situations make this work. That although I think everyone's terrified to have kids, that it's not, well, difficult, not as difficult as you build it up in your single mind, but it just, it wipes away everything. Like one of the easiest parts of self-quarantine during this pandemic is that I can't fucking go do anything because I have to watch my kids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you are, you are, uh, yeah. Like, it's like, what, what are you going to do? You're going to go out to go, go play golf or whatever. Like, no, like you're, you're watching your kids. Yeah. I, I can't go out and meet the boys for drinks on Friday night at eight 30 because one of the kids is asleep and we have a toddler going around and my, my wife is with them 24 hours a day because she's still on paternity leave or maternity leave. Like it's what, what I'm going to just be like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, wife. I'm going out now for four hours. I'm going to come back shit faced. Uh, and I'm going to say, yeah, I'll be useless. I'll be useless tomorrow as well. 
Yeah. So you like, yeah, there's a responsibility aspect that comes along with it. But as of right now, based on the world circumstances, that's not the worst thing to have happen. Like I'm saving money by not going out. I'm not going out and getting sick. Like that's, that's probably for the best. Yeah, like a like like an actual win, an actual win for you is is it was having a kid during a global pandemic because you're you're not missing out on much. No, absolutely. Um, it was weird being in the hospital though. Yeah, so my my girlfriend's sister just had a baby uh, two days ago, and uh, they were they did the whole hospital and everything, and I'm I'm sure it was just a, a very surreal experience. So what else is on your mind? Uh, have you watched the Netflix show Dark yet? Probably not. Probably because you have you have kids. You don't have you don't have time to dedicate to go to go watch a bunch of TV. No, the only thing that I've watched like regularly has been the challenge, and that just ended. And I've been watching the show Black Friday, Black Monday, whatever the one is with Don Cheadle. I just watched the first season of that, just as like a background so I, show. Yeah, I don't I don't love to like uh, like tout TV shows to people. I'd rather you know tell them to go read a book or or something, just because I I find that to be more of like a, a positive thing. But this this show Dark on Netflix is like actually good enough, actually enough of like a, a, a an actual work of art that I I would recommend people go take the uh, ten episodes over three like thirty hours to go watch it. Basically, didn't this like show, it, it, did, it is didn't this show come out like three years ago like that's when i heard about it what it's been the one season one season a year for the last three years and i i had never watched it until the the third season just came out three weeks ago yeah i remember when it i i just remember hearing about it at the time i actually have no idea what it's about but someone said it's like german and twin peaksy uh yeah twin peaksy maybe a little lost ish um though you know everything uh the the ending the the fans are we're not tilted at the ending most of the most of the fans found the the ending of the of the series satisfactory but it was um like legitimate like probably the probably the best experience i've had watching a show since getting through like all of breaking bad okay i'm gonna give that a shot i mean i have netflix so that works out well for me uh, you like the, the one thing though, is like it, you do actually have to pay attention. Like you, like you can't be like, uh, like sweating golf or, or whatever at the same time. Like I, I found that out during the first season. Like if you're, if you're on your phone on Twitter or whatever, so maybe this would be good motivation to, uh, delete Twitter, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not good. Like it's, it's, it ends up being bad if you're not able to pay attention. Oh, are you, you and Drewby are still doing the golf podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I download. Don't Still listen. doing the golf show. I download. Don't well, listen. fair enough. Yeah, that's, we accept. That's important for all for everyone out there who wants to support podcasts. Even if you don't want to listen to an episode, download it, then delete it. But download it first. Those numbers all count. They seem like listens. But have you noticed like a big uptick in interest in golf? Uh, so like we have got like we have more traffic on our golf optimizer and stuff like that the podcast we just like we don't really promote it all that heavily you know because i do i do so many different shows and stuff i try not to like overload on on any one thing but it seemed like a small a small uptick but in terms of like people accessing the the optimizer people accessing the projections the betting tools uh even even like people who are playing pj dfs and like talking about it in the daily roto slack as opposed to you know like uh like league of legends and and the other stuff going on right now i've never seen this much engagement in golf ever 
it seems like the perfect storm for golf because it's the most accessible of the like individual sports that are like currently going on from the people who normally just watch team sports because people play golf. It's not like people play NASCAR or people who like baseball probably don't play League of Legends, you know what I mean? But they might play golf. Yeah, like everyone kind of has like some kind of passing familiarity with it they they understand the rules they understand how the they understand how the game works it's not like they're having to completely re-educate themselves on something so that that definitely works in its favor and you know also the golf has been great since the return right like there just it's been amazing tournament after amazing tournament great finish after great finish that has been a big thing although it hasn't been a problem for us up here because we just stream it on like TSN will pick up the CBS live feed from the internet and just play that on TV. Cause they have the rights to do that, that it just seems like the PGA it's working and ratings are going up and interest is going up because it's the only game in town, but I feel like they're really blowing it. Like they, they could have made a lot of new fans and kept them. Now, obviously they're not going to keep everyone. If they even kept like 5% of the new people 5%. that are tuning yeah. in, it's such a huge win and that would grow the game so much. And it's just, just the way that they broadcast it and the way that they talk about golf, they just fucking blow it. I mean, it's, it is, it is unbelievably bad the way that they choose to cover golf. Like, and, and I don't know exactly whose fault it is. You know, I don't know if it's the TV, like, I don't know if it's the people who hold the rights, if it's the PGA tour, but like, just the way golf is presented to the public is in all of the avenues, you know, uh, you know, if we, if we think that there's, you know, an infinite number of outcomes for the way that they could present golf to the people, this is like in the bottom 10% of those outcomes. They just seem to be gearing it towards 65 year olds, which is fine because that's a large, it's probably even the majority of the golf audience, but all of the new people that have come in recently are not 65 year olds they're people just you know 25 45 people who are not inept at finding things on the internet or they want to see golf shots they want to see like an actual actual sports happen where it's not like oh let's cut over to this random interview we did five days ago like i just can't believe that they still like doubled down on that as their product it it seems like something driven from like focus group hell right of like talking to a bunch of like 53 year old guys who are like sell insurance or whatever and asking them what they want to see but like yeah i mean it's it's the stone cold worst way to do it like it should just be shot after shot after shot we should be seeing all of the important moments and we really don't and again i know i've hammered on this point for like three years but this would have actually been the perfect time to integrate a DraftKings style broadcast as a web property for this that would have done such giant numbers right now and i know it's probably yeah it would have been to... it would have been huge and it, it seems like it'd be easier to do because of code like you could have tested out so much random broadcast shit that you wouldn't have deemed acceptable on your network because of the standard that it was at and you could have used yes. the pandemic as a cover of well we're just trying stuff out we're just trying yeah so like uh you know literally you send you know, a bunch of different groups out and like the, the, you know, you have a, you have, you know, more cameras out there or like you, you like leave a, like maybe you leave 10 guys and they just stay on the green for a hole and they're like using zoom and stuff to, to get entire shots. Or you have one cameraman for probably not one cameraman for every grouper, but like just 
the the shot quality would not be as good, but just overall you're seeing more shots. Yeah, I, I had the low cost idea is is send one person out with the entire group that just does an audio feed. Yeah, uh, I mean, like so, and how would that like you you put the audio feed on the broadcast or use that as the radio feed or or how would that work? Just set up a streaming service. If I want to follow along, Lukeless, Siwoo Kim, and Chess and Hadley, I can tune into their group and see what's going on. Do you, and, and these guys are mic'd up? Well, the guy who's following them is mic'd up. He's telling you what's going on in real time. Oh, so, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's like, it's like color commentary. Yeah. I, I mean, that would, that would be super low cost and that would be amazingly effective. Like I, I would, I would pay, I would pay for that service yeah, for and, sure. And like, I get how video is expensive. Video is much harder than audio. Hence, I mean, I'm having tech problems right now. That's why we're recording this audio wise and not video wise, but just the, the, and the level of entry would be so low on that. And then you could start cobbling things together. Like, Hey, we can see by shot tracker that Luke list is, you know, we just got told that he put it into the left rough. And if you wanted to kind of cobble together like a red zone type thing, be like, let's cut over to Jack Adams. Who's with that group right now. What's Luke list looking at live right now. Here's what he's looking yeah, at. Yeah, I mean, golf red zone is what we all want, right? Like yeah. that that is that is what we want. We want on we want from you know 10 a.m. on Friday to whenever, whenever guys are done playing to see every important shot. Slash, that, that's what we want. Slash 7 a.m. on Friday. But I think it works two ways. I think you have a red zone type channel hosted by Pat Mayo, where I kind of cut it like I'm following along with everything that's going on and we can cut to everything and i'm getting like the shot tracker live information to me i can see where the shots go we can cut into this person on this hole and i can tell you that or you have the opportunity for like mlb tv where you can create a four box or an eight box and you can just highlight the golfers that you want to watch with no commentary it's just like here here they are here's what they're doing I mean that that is the literal dream right like that like that is the like like what they did at the masters last year right but on but for every tournament that that is what that is what we want and live because that was not live that was you go into the yeah, app not. and see the shots 30 seconds after they happen which is getting close but it's not quite there yeah and then you you have that live and um i mean do you think and so in this streaming service do you have the ability to like okay i want to go watch i want to go watch all of the now shots today because i have him uh and i need him for a six of six or whatever and so I, I just want to watch every shot that Finau makes is like, is that, is that in your vision? Yeah. I think that as soon as I, that would probably have to be after the round is over or maybe at nine that you get a super cut of every shot that someone hits. If you want to archive it and go back and look. Well, I mean, so let, let's fast forward a year and we get, we get past COVID and there are no restrictions in terms of how many people we can have on the course and everything. Like, why can't we have a cameraman with every group? I think it's the cost and the logistics of all of that. Like, I, I don't see why we can't, but... Yeah, it's just too much money. There, there are reasons, and I think that... I mean, just even the actual, like... To get real cameramen to do it, like, cameramen make a lot of money. People may not know that. I know a few cameramen. Yeah. And they... Yeah, they they're print. not... They, they, don't work, they don't work for free. No, and they're traveling around. Like, like CBS has its own team that you would have to find a lower cost way to do it. That's why I think that the audio barrier to entry is just a very easy way to see if people are actually interested. So the PGA puts out a product. 
maybe it's C, maybe it's NBC. I don't know. Let's just say it's the PGA, and they have this partnership with DraftKings, and they tailor this audio. One guy per group goes around following, giving you live updates of everything. You sell that subscription that you can probably stream through the DraftKings app as well because they're partners that you can just like on your DraftKings line be like, hey, follow this guy around live. And you can hit a button and it streams through your app through whatever service that they have. But on the PGA side, if you wanted to do that, you could also bake in affiliate stuff for the PGA Tour to go back through to DraftKings so they can make money on it that way. And people are still paying for the product as a subscription fee per tournament, per month, per year, whatever you want to do. Like you could just constantly be selling on that. And you know that the people who are actually seeking out this product are people that spend money on the internet. That is true. Yeah, the the money funnel is the money funnel is big, right? Because they're they're not they don't want to they don't want to go through all this work, develop all this streaming for people who they can't monetize. No, but the people that they would be developing for are the people who spend the most money on the internet, like frivol- frivolously too. Like they are, yeah, they're the they're like Lindsay Nagel from The Simpsons. Oh, what's in my purse? Oh, disposable income. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that the Simpsons. That's interesting. I'm I'm trying to get Bill Oakley on the show. I've I've reached out to his, uh his his personal assistant who who books his stuff for him. I I, I really want them. But uh we are we are getting to a a part in our our future with the Simpsons, Pat, where uh we it, either it it will be done airing or they they might start about thinking replacing the voice actors. All of the voice actors are just the problematic ones. Yeah, like uh, like Henry Shearer hates doing the show and and just calls in and does all his stuff. But you know, Disney owns Disney owns it now, and um, just like a an overall change in the means of production for that show, I think probably is uh, is in order. Well, how old is Harry Shearer? He was old when they filmed Spinal Tap in like 1984. Harry Shearer, seventy six. Yeah, yeah, he is. Like Dan Castellaneta is probably like guy. The, the youngest one, or actually Hank Azaria is probably the youngest one. Yeah, Dan and Nancy are both 62. Julie Kavner is 69. Hank, Hank Azaria, Azaria, 56. Yeah, so, but I mean, and, and but I mean, it's it's certainly to the point of where uh, if they decide that that Disney decides, you know, it's it's worth uh, the the money to keep producing it, that they are going to start thinking about contingency plans in terms of replacing the voice actors i mean it's not like the people who grew up with the show like me even so care yeah I, I just i don't give a shit so as long as it they don't think it hurts the bottom line of like disenfranchising the new viewers that they have then they should have done this 20 years ago when everyone who was the original generation of simpsons fans stopped caring about the simpsons because these guys print money. The voice actors. I, I, I still watch the show. I, I still, Why? I just like. It is Simpsons. Is you know everyone has their comfort food, right? And like the Simpsons is just like that's my thing. Like I just, I even even the new episodes that are not as good or or I. You know, I, I hate to trash on things that people really like making, but it's it's not the it certainly is not the same. And, uh, but yeah, I, I still, I still watch it. I, I don't have, I mean, I, I'm not someone who has an overflow of disposable income, but I'm especially someone who doesn't have an overflow of disposable time anymore. Disposable time. And in investing it into Simpsons episodes, I don't think are funny is probably not a good use of that time. Oh, I, I just, I just remembered another thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Hit me. This, um, 
this would have been the time if soccer was ever going to become a capital T thing in the States, this would have been the time where there was literally nothing else on TV. I brought this up to right when the pandemic started. That it was like the last show I think we did in studio before I had to stop having like Jeff in and Cody in and we had to start doing everything by phone. I talked to Jeff and Tim about like Bundesliga just started back up. I was like, if there's ever a moment for European soccer to like hit the big time, because the, the quality of this soccer should be miles ahead of MLS that I get it's not American, but it's higher level and Americans tend to like the highest level of things. I always feel like that's why the MLS isn't really a thing is because it's the 20th yeah, it's so bad it's like the eighth best league in the world but the german league is probably what like the fourth best league in the world like there's real there's real yeah. dudes in the Bundesliga that it Correct. just it just didn't happen now is that because of the broadcast like it wasn't available to watch in most places it wasn't promoted or is it turns out that americans just don't give a shit about soccer unless it's team america playing yeah i mean i i think you i think you you gotta just say that uh that people who live in the United States just don't care. It's no different than hockey. They're, they're... If you live in Detroit yeah, yeah. or if you live like, I don't know, in any state that basically borders Canada, you probably might care. If you live in Illinois, you might care. But it's not widespread. Like, it's just not going to be an entire nation thing that catches on where football is and baseball is and basketball is. Like, those are huge everywhere. The NFL obviously being the most, but like hockey is a regional sport. It seems like soccer is a regional sport as well. Yeah, it just it'll it will never happen. Unless I I guess the last bastion would be you know the MLS becoming the the Premier League, right? Where every team is worth billions of dollars. The best players in the in the world all play here, and you know that is a hundred years away from ever being like rational well there's uh, there's one other path to it or two should i say and they probably coincide with each other it would be that america produces one of the three best players like a messy in the world yes like yes they, they need a, like like tiger reinvigorated golf by being the best at golf like ever it was jack and then golf kind of went away for a bit then tiger came and was like oh here's tiger woods and he is golf and he 30 years later still is golf <laughs> which is kind of problematic for golf, but soccer needs like that injection of someone to come in and be really awesome on Liverpool or Man U or Real Madrid, whoever it might be, and be compared to uh, a Ronaldo or a Messi or whoever it is, like be in that league of guys. And then he in turn needs to make Team USA really good and not just like, oh, they might advance to the the knockout stage. the, the, The United States, the United States winning the World Cup with, guys who play in the eights and and this this messianic figure that that's that would be the other angle so like let's say christian pulisic who is the best american player he plays for you know one of the four best teams in england he takes 19 next steps and he becomes this you know he scores an absurd amount of goals he's amazing he uh is on tv all the time you know it's so on so on and so forth and the united states wins the 2022 world cup like that 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 can make it happen yeah and that's what a zero percent chance of happening <laughs> uh all yeah, those I mean, things happen. united states men's like the, the the way the u.s men's soccer team is set up it's a it's a total nightmare and this actually if we, if we wanted to bring it back full circle, this again comes back to the ways in which 
uh, Americans care more about about capitalism than the greater good because uh, American soccer for for youth kids is very much like pay to play in a way that it is not in any other country. So our, our best athletes a lot of times just never even start playing organized soccer. Yeah, it's, a, it's a lot like in Canada, like all our best athletes play hockey, play hockey. And like, yeah. And like, that's it. That's the reason that Canada is good at hockey. They all play the same sport. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's also, yeah. but it's also the reason like, and it completely coincides basically with Vince Carter is that once Vince Carter won the dunk contest 10 years later, all of a sudden Canada had like good basketball players all of a sudden, not on the level of like the United States, but versus what we had before was way different. Like we have guys yes. every year. Yeah it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's literally, it's literally the same thing. They're, they're just what, what I don't even know what I would tell a kid who wanted to become uh, a great soccer player in the United States right now. I'd be like, well, uh, you're never going to win a world cup because we we're we're a mess and uh, it's going to be very hard for you to make a ton of money. It's going to be very hard for you to get, you know, elite level coaching. Like it just, it, it, it's the, the obstacles seem, seem to, they seem impassable. And there does become a thing as well, that one of the reasons that golf really succeeded under tiger was when tiger won the masters tiger winning the masters leads PTI. Or if Tiger breaks a record, it's the first thing on Sports Center. Yeah. There's never been anything like that for American soccer. Like there hasn't been a guy, oh, he scored six goals and like broke whatever, whatever. Like we're leading talking about this. No, we're gonna tie like opening segment on Sports Center is gonna be Adam Schefter updating you on like the players union for the NFL. Like you need that transcendent person to become the story to give the sport more exposure. You see it during the women's world cup for the USA soccer, but you only see it during women's world cup. And women's soccer isn't a thing outside of the world cup going on. Like it doesn't, at least yeah, we, it doesn't seem to be. At yeah. Least. We, yeah. I mean the, there are, so there is actually in Europe, there is a big women's soccer league that gets, you know, multi-millions of dollars thrown at it. And that does get coverage on like, I, you know, I listen to soccer podcasts and that are you know mostly focused around the men's game but they do talk about the women's game because it is like a real thing over there but yeah just that it's not the the nwsl which is the american uh women's soccer league is uh not well funded not not a not a big draw and it doesn't get the exposure of leading certain things it's like if i don't know justin thomas wins the pga championship there's a chance that that is not the lead on sports center if tiger woods wins it is Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. And we just, we don't, we, we, there, there have been a lot of guys who have been supposed to be that guy, but then it never, it never happens. It, it's the same way in tennis, like Serena and Venus are one thing they can lead by winning Wimbledon. There's just no good American tennis players anymore. Like who was the last good American tennis player, Andy Roddick, who was very clearly the bottom rung of the good players. Uh, like when I was, and I follow tennis. I follow tennis a little bit more closely than uh, like the average person. But I, I even I don't have a great answer to that question. Like, like in my like, I don't follow tennis all that closely. But like I remember growing up, like when I thought American players, like you had Agassi and you had Sampras. Like Michael Chang was also really good, and he would always like be lingering in Grand Slams. But for the past fucking twenty years, it's been Federer, it's been Nadal, it's been Djokovic. Andy Murray made a little run for a bit. Like Roddick won a U.S. Open. That was it. 
And then there's like like Marat Safin would come out of nowhere and win every now and then. But it's literally been the same three people for like a decade. <laughs> I mean the the guy who is the best American tennis player and has been for the Isner? last few years right now. It's it's Isner. Yeah, and he um he has no Grand Slam wins. No, he's just a real tall dude who serves real hard, isn't he? John Isner follows me on Twitter. Sweet. Shout out John Isner. He's a lot like uh, Canada has Milos Raonic, who is like this. I think he's like the exact same as John Isner. They're like Gordon. Yeah, I, 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 I like I, I like Milos. He's he's one of my, he's I like to watch him play. Why? If you get him moving from like left to right, he's like a statue. He's like the Drew Bloodsoe of tennis players. Well, in and daily fantasy tennis, like uh, the way you win. Yeah, yeah, you need you need the aces and and Raonic and Isner are super super good at those. Oh yeah, they're they're all serve and that's the entire game. But like it's just so it's such a contrasting thing. Like especially at Wimbledon or even at, at, let's just say the French Open when you're on clay and everything is just so slow to watch an athlete like Nadal who's even past his prime now like out athletic these young guys just because they're statues. It's, it's like you're watching two different sports uh yeah yeah i mean it, it really like their their uh philosophical approach to the game like it seems like they're playing a different activity yeah and like the athleticism that nadal has just the speed that he has like the power in his wrist that he has is just like this guy's like a different human <laughs> uh he's yeah, old now. yeah like, nadal Nadal's an old man now in terms of tennis so like that's always I always like to think of this with athletes of like if they, okay so if they didn't play this sport could they be a pro in another sport and like Nadal probably could have been some like he you know he could have been a point guard he could have played soccer probably you know yeah he's tall too I think he's like six one six two yeah but he's whereas a, like and, wow he's a year and you're like he's a year younger than me he seems like and he's, he's old around. yeah and he's old how's that make you feel not bad. But, like, how is Federer still a thing? Like, how is he still good? <laughs> you know, uh, I just, I guess, well, he hasn't really played. Federer hasn't really played because he's been hurt. But, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't have a good answer for that like, on how Federer is still good. How old is Federer? Federer's 38. Thir- 38. And yeah. he last won a Grand Slam win, like, last year? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not played since, let's, let's find the last time he won a Grand Slam. Uh, the last time he won a Grand Slam was in yeah he won the Australian Open in 2018 so two years ago but he, he he had won he won Wimbledon in 2017 as well and he won the Australian Open in 2017 as well yeah so that's that that sort of longevity is I uh, uh, I mean it's unheard of in tennis basically tennis is really a young man's and or woman's game yeah it just seems to me that people just stop playing the, the only logical conclusion behind this is that at a certain point people almost across the world stop playing tennis well you just you just can't you can't move the way you need to once you get past a certain age basically no, no but before like you would have guys who were 28 and they were washed up like yes Federer's is probably the best player ever nadal is probably up there djokovic is probably up there as well but the fact that they're able to sustain their careers a decade longer than everyone else leads me to believe that that decade behind them is that all the best athletes stop playing tennis wherever they're from. Uh, I mean, maybe could be like what America, like no good American athlete plays tennis. Like not like the cream of the crop. Like they, yeah. Rep, like it's like baseball, what even... like they're playing basketball or they're playing football. Yeah, like what, uh, like, like where you, I guess to be, a, you'd have to, 
be a really good athlete whose parents really liked tennis. Like that would, that would, that would have to be how really good American tennis players come about. Where like, your parents are like, yes, you're good at basketball. Yes. You're good at football, but we really want you to play tennis. Yeah. Unless you're Joakim Noah, where your dad is one of the best tennis players of his era. And you're just like, yeah, play basketball instead. <laughs> yeah. Like I'd rather. Yeah. Which is why. Yeah. That, that athlete families are, are, always super fascinating to me like how you like fathers and sons or brothers who end up being athletic like these 0.001 percent outcomes who all come from the same genetic tree well i'm curious to see agassi and steffi graf's kid like that's good it's got to be a great tennis player in the making yes but they'll yeah, play like has to be but they'll be like a f1 driver or something <laughs> you ever watch f1 uh, it's on really early in the morning so sometimes i watch it more when i was a kid rather than like the past 10 years when Jacques Villeneuve used to win an F1, he was Canadian. So I used to watch that. I, I like to see like that. That's the big difference between me and F1 and like NASCAR and IndyCar. The scenery in F1 can be like worth watching. Like when they race in Monaco, it's like, Ooh, Monaco. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I play, I really, one of the video games I played a lot growing up was Gran Turismo where they they have a lot of those a lot of those F1 tracks and I think I remembered watching a couple times when I was a kid just cuz I liked the video game and I just got too bored. I, I just can't get like there are certain things that are for certain people. Like I know a lot of people who like, "Hey Pat, I like the show. I can't listen to golf cuz golf is the most boring thing on earth." I can't really dispute that if that's how you feel, but that's how I feel about racing. Like I just I I try I've tried to get into it. I've tried to give it a chance. It's a lot like soccer for me. I've tried to give it a chance. It's just not for me. Yes. Yeah. There are, there are many things that people like that are not for me. And that's, uh, I also, you know, I also definitely, I don't like to be one of those people of telling people like, Oh, you, you have to, you have to like, you have to like what I like, you know? No, I like a lot of stuff that people just fucking hate, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think when I was younger, I would have been like, you know, you do need to like what I like. Cause what I like is the best. Yeah, I mean, for uh, content-wise, that should be, the, like, the attitude that you have, I think. Like, when I'm doing the golf yeah, I mean, show, yeah, it's you're, like, yeah, yeah golf's if you're the doing best. content, <laughs> yeah, it's your job to sell what you're selling. Yeah, exactly. All right, I, that's all I got. You got anything else? Uh, No, I mean, I think that's, uh, well, okay, actually, okay, yeah, one last thing. What do you think the long-term you know, we're looking back at this in 2025. What do you think the, the impact of COVID-19 is going to be on the world of professional sports? You know, less people interested, more people interested, less people playing fantasy sports, more people play, like, what, what, what do you, like, more money coming in, less money coming in. What do you see as being the long-term impacts? On sports, I don't see there being an impact at all. Like, if, if a vaccine happens and, like, COVID is gone in five years, which God yeah. hope that happens uh and we're back to like normal or at least what we consider to be normal what it was before the pandemic started that things will just continue like fewer people will watch because that's the trajectory of sports as it is anyway um people are just finding niche audiences and things uh, fewer people are watching tv but interest in the nfl will remain up um probably right around the level where it was it will make tons of money i don't see any i don't see a fundamental difference really coming out of this than before this um except people are just more polarized than before because people no matter who you are you just kind of want things to go back to what the way that they were before 
and people will just accept that once it happens. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the leagues will probably have a little bit less money and that, that just probably ends up being what, what goes on. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. Yeah, but they'll make that money back somehow. There's always new revenue streams to be found. This stuff isn't maxed out by any means. I just gave the PGA Tour like a $30 million idea. <laughs> you did. You did. Yeah. I don't know. I'm very, I, I'm all, I'm very curious. And I guess this doesn't, this doesn't apply as much, but like, uh, like the whole structure of the way European soccer works is, is going to have to change because a ton of clubs are going bankrupt and it's going to be a real uh, rich get richer scenario. Well, that's over there. That, well, it's a very similar situation to a lot of minor league sports in America. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, how does the minor league baseball system exist when it doesn't broadcast for, or, you know, doesn't take place for all, basically, you know, a two year gap, you know, with, with no games being played this year? Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I, I guess the other impact on sports, too, is we found out what sports have the ability to hit bigger or sustain themselves and which ones just are never going to catch on. I mean, yeah, we did. We did learn that if I was if I was in charge of uh, making people care about soccer in the United States, I would be I'd be real disgusted with what happened. I'd be like, well, I don't know how I'm supposed to do my job now. I feel like esports had a had a moment to seize itself and it didn't. Like It just never got like it's it, obviously esports is huge. It makes a ton of money and around worldwide, very popular. But in terms of becoming like a mainstream sport that. How, what would you say that the average percentage-wise of viewers of esports, if I set the age at thirty, what are the, what's percentage? Oh, way way under. Yeah, but like, what's the actual like percentage? Like ninety-eight percent is sub thirty. Yeah, yeah, I'd say I'd say like ninety percent is sub twenty-one. Okay, so maybe that has the ability to come along like the next wave once people are familiar with that. But if they had ever wanted a shot to catch on with older like and when i say older people i mean like me who's 35 it's just that's never yeah. it's never gonna happen no no they they should not care about your demographic at all basically yeah just never gear anything towards me which means it'll never be on tv because by the time that the 21 year olds are 35 i there might be like four channels left or, or there'll be like nine hundred thousand channels well there are nine hundred thousand channels there's so much there's so, like I I have cable and I watch like four channels ever. I have which ca- is funny. Yeah, it's funny. I I also kind of do the same thing. My wife and I like rotate between like five channels on cable. Yet we pay for like every channel because like there might be a show on a channel once every three months that like we were scrolling through like oh I'd watch that. <laughs> well, and it's also nice that if you have cable like you just have access to like other streaming services when you go to log- use your cable login. So I, I found that to be nice. It is. I, I like the a la carte stuff. I don't know if you guys have that in the States, but like I can kind of pick the channels that I want, like on demand. Like, uh, they two, they two, do like, here's they two do bucks like packages. Yeah. Like we have packages, but we also developed a thing where it's like, Hey, for, you know, for three bucks a month, you can pick a channel for three bucks and you don't need to subscribe to a package. You can pick these like 20 channels for three bucks a month each uh yeah we do we do uh we do not have that or you can buy the package which might have it in it and the package will be cheaper but you need to buy like eight packages to get all the channels that you actually wanted i mean that uh i would like so like for example i i paid the extra money to get the golf channel in the like this you know the 
third up package or whatever, but it was literally, I only wanted the golf channel and I pay like an extra $10 a month for that. I, you know, I'd much rather just pay two bucks or whatever for the golf channel. Yeah. So I, I think I pay three fifty a month for golf channel, but I only get like out of the golf channel package. I get that. I pay three fifty for that and three bucks for NFL network just to make sure that I have those, but I don't have like NBA TV because I don't watch NBA TV. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds kind of like the the wave of the of the future, but we do not. Well, I mean, maybe some places in the states have it, but we do not have it here. Bummer. Bummer. Well, there we go. Everyone should subscribe. Show. Everyone should subscribe to the Take Cast with Davis Maddock and the Pat Mayo Experience with Pat Mayo. Rating these shows. Don't even need to leave a review. Just scroll down, tap five Just stars. Just a little rate. Takes like yeah. three seconds. I, I, uh, every, every, a couple weeks ago, no, probably a couple months ago now, I, I went through and left a rating and review for every show I subscribed to because I was like, I host a podcast. I ask people to do this all the time. It's, it's literally the least I can do. I, I did that too. Not like I did it years ago, but every time I subscribe to a new podcast, I try to give myself a week. Do I like it? Do I not like it? If I do, I go and immediately do that because, yeah, I know how valuable that is. The Pat Mayo experience worldwide about to cross 4,000 ratings, which is nice worldwide there we go very proud of you pat thank you very much thank you thank you all for listening out there by the way thank you everyone for listening yeah it was a a good show good talking to you all right man it was nice to catch up yeah good good chatting to you pat i uh, hope we get a chance to uh to do more corona casting soon or or maybe just regular casting regular chatting as uh, as the coronavirus recedes to be a memory yeah true all right man stay safe Stay safe. Take it easy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.